Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.04 a.m. Central Standard Time, which I think ends, oh God, we're going to have to jump forward an hour here, I think by Sunday. I think it's the 14th. So be aware. I hope I'm wrong, but I I don't know. That just I just remembered that. So if you have problems like I do with daylight savings time and the changeover of uh, time that they always do twice a year, then welcome to hell because we're gonna have to do it again. Uh, somebody please stop this shit. It's ridiculous. All right, this uh, <clears throat> very well could be a shorter show. Honestly, there's. While there's a lot going on, it just, I don't know, uh, it just didn't seem to be, the whole lot of stuff didn't seem to be written up, so this could be a short show. We're going to start it off with Wisdom Tree <clears throat> filing for a Bitcoin ETF uh, alongside of Nidig and Valkyrie and Vanek. Everybody wants an ETF. I mean, I reported on it yesterday. It's getting so damn bad that somebody's trying to figure out a way to do a synthetic ETF by buying Grayscale. That's how much demand there is, right? This is all bullish. I don't get into ETFs. I would just rather hold the underlying asset, but if a retirement plan can get into it, then it's good for Bitcoin. Okay, so Nathan DiCamillo is uh, writing this one for Coindesk. Exchange-traded fund giant um, Wisdom Tree has applied to launch a Bitcoin ETF, becoming one of the many firms to apply for an ETF by filing an S1 form with the United States SEC. Wisdom Tree intends to list the shares of the ETF on CBOE's BZX exchange. NYDIG applied in February. Valkyrie applied in January, and Van Eck applied in December of last year. So far, Van Eck has been the only couple, uh, wait, yeah, so far Van Eck has been the only couple to also file, I think they meant company, the only company to also file Form 19B-4, kicking off the SEC's regulatory review process. Grayscale may soon be in the process of either applying for a new Bitcoin ETF or converting Grayscale Bitcoin Trust into an ETF as it seeks to hire nine ETF specialists. The digital asset investment firm, which is owned by Coindesk's parent company, Digital Currency Group, refused to confirm that it is working on an ETF. In June of 2020, Wisdom Tree applied for an ETF that would put 5% of assets into Bitcoin futures contracts. So everybody wants this. And the SEC has been so slow that the Canadians have jumped, have basically jumped us and mugged us in the street in broad daylight. Because they opened up not one, not two, but three <clears throat> Canadian ETFs. And here's the SEC basically sitting on a piles of paper doing exactly squat. They're doing exactly squat. 
Now, let that sink in. The United States, supposedly the economic and financial powerhouse of the world, can't tie its fucking shoes. This is embarrassing, people. This is absolutely embarrassing. And no, I don't think Grayscale, uh, I'll say, I said it yesterday, I'll say it again today. I do not think Grayscale is going to apply for a new ETF. They are going to figure out a way to convert their closed-in fund to an ETF so that Barry can still rake in, you know, billions of dollars a year. Because a closed-in fund in the face of multiple ETFs isn't going to go anywhere. Okay, Barry, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sad for Barry. Barry's going to be fine. Barry knows that Barry is going to be fine. I'm really surprised that they're not commenting as to whether, what their ETF plans are at this point, because come on, dude, the writing is on the wall. You're going to convert GBTC into an ETF. Otherwise you wouldn't have hired nine people for ETF specific positions at your company. Come on, man. Come on. Now, this one, this one is a, in, in geopolitical news. <clears throat> Taiwan accuses Bitcoin mining giant Bitmain of poaching its, poaching its engineers. Now, okay, you know, companies poach, you know, people from, from each other all the time. And it's, a, it's kind of a big deal. It's, it's gotten to, it, I mean, it was such a big deal in Silicon Valley that they all had these gentleman agreements not to poach each other's shit, right? That's not what this is. It's not a Taiwanese company that's accusing Bitmain of poaching its engineers. It's the country. Okay. It's geopolitical. So you got Bitmain, which is a Chinese company, and you've got the country of Taiwan. Uh, this is going to get messy because China is, is going to end up probably absorbing Taiwan no matter what Taiwan does, just like they did to freaking Hong Kong. This is honestly... It's everything's good for Bitcoin, but this is this is bad for this may be bad for Taiwan. I don't know, but let's find out from Andrew Asmakov from Decrypt.co. Chinese crypto mining rig manufacturer Bitmain Technologies has reportedly illegally poached at least 100 engineers in a bid to accelerate the development of proprietary artificial intelligence powered chips, according <clears throat> according to a recent report by Nikkei a Nikkei Asia. Taiwanese prosecutors launched a probe at several locations in New Taipei City and Sinshu, interrogating 19 local executives and engineers suspected of being involved. I'm serious. This is serious for Bitmain, and it's also going to be serious for the government of Taiwan, dude. This is this looks nasty. Sinshu is a major economic hub for the global semiconductor industry and home to Taiwanese or Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company or TSMC, the world's largest chip maker. I'm telling you, man, this is bad. According to preliminary results of the investigation, Bitmain established a company in Beijing and lured a senior, senior engineer to take up the role of chairman while also asking him to persuade his former colleagues to follow. Additionally, two more companies, IC Link and WiseCore, were set up in Taiwan with the purpose of conducting large-scale research focused on the development of artificial intelligence chips. The new Taipei prosecutor's office took possession of evidence including employee lists, employee lists and salary information from IC Link and WiseCore. A spokesperson said that Bitmain's illegal talent poaching dates back to 2018 and the companies in question severed or served a headhunting purpose, seeking talent across other Taiwanese firms. According to the existing agreement between China and Taiwan, 
Residents of mainland China are barred from investing in certain Taiwanese industries deemed crucial from the point of view of national security. The chip design sector falls into that category, meaning that companies looking to enter this field require preliminary approval from the authorities. Other Chinese companies are reportedly suspected of poaching talent from Taiwan as well, with investigations being opened into several of them. Quote, in several cases, we have noticed chip design or chip research and development are not part of the corporate activity the company is registered to conduct, a senior national security official told the Financial Times. In others, companies have posed as ordinary Taiwanese or foreign startups and failed to disclose their Chinese capital. End quote. Bitmain's co-founder, McCree Zahn, first outlined the company's plans for developing AI mining chips back in 2017. Next year, the Beijing-based firm released Sofon, an AI chip supposedly capable of performing millions of calculations per second. Earlier this year, in the settlement worth $600 million, Zahn officially replaced his co-founder, Jihan Wu, as Bitmain's general manager and executive director bringing to an end a year-long feud between the pair. Well, welcome to the God only knows how many year-long feud between Taiwan and China because of this shit. Good job, bro. Excellent work. All right, so TSMC needs to get out of Taiwan before Taiwan is either invaded or politically absorbed into the body that is communist China. You need to get out. Guys, start tweeting at TSMC and tell them that they are welcome in Texas and 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 Wyoming and Florida and all the all the actual good states of the union. Right? Not to say that I don't like Colorado and and I actually have a soft place in my heart for New Mexico, but let's be honest, some of these states are going full blown, you know, commie. So anyway, Bitcoin Magazine has this one about Foundry Digital's. Bitcoin mining pool welcoming institutional clients now. Oh, yay. And who is this? Oh, oh this is by Casey. All right, let's, let's, let's read this one. Foundry Digital, a subsidiary of Digital Currency Group, announced today that it is seeking institutional businesses that want to participate in Bitcoin mining to participate in its Foundry USA pool, according to a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine. The announcement came alongside a statement that BlockCap Incorporated, a North American Bitcoin mining company, has joined the pool and is mining with roughly 10,000 of the latest generation mining rigs, contributing more than 0.91 exahashes of compute power. The release highlighted the range of services that Foundry's Bitcoin mining pool provides to appeal to institutional clients, quote, Foundry USA Pool is focused on institutional mining businesses and is seamlessly integrated with DCG-owned cryptocurrency prime broker Genesis Trading to provide users with various treasury management services, including high security custody, Bitcoin collateralized lending, yield earnings on BTC holdings, derivative products, and seamless liquidation, according to the release. Woo! Put a tie on that suit speak, baby. Foundry's opening to these clients offers a new avenue for North American institutional investment into Bitcoin mining. Since its creation in 2020, BlockCap has become one of the largest Bitcoin mining operations in North America, and its addition to the Foundry USA pool enhances the pool's ability to compete in a Chinese-dominated industry. Quote, mining on a pool that is made and based completely in the United States and offers institutional miners payouts at par with the world's biggest pools was an obvious choice on our mission to make North America a global hub for digital asset mining, stated Darian Feinstein, BlockCap's executive chairman, according to the release. 
Growing interest in Bitcoin mining in the United States has been matched with continued investment, and this announcement may precede further entries uh, into the mining pool. The accumulation of clientele could contribute to more widespread desires to join, and it is this momentum which Foundry Digital doubtlessly hopes to capture in competing with China-based mining pools. So... We're, we're, we're up and coming again with, you know, with mining starting to really not con I mean, clearly it's not concentrating in North America, but there is a concentration that is beginning to occur in the, at least in the interest of North Americans wanting to get into the mining game. Okay. And this is good. I would like to see a lot of this stuff out of China. I don't want China to be able to, to force anybody's hand the way that they forced Hong Kong later on down the road because they still have you know are a mining powerhouse need this distributed again i reiterate start tweeting at tsmc uh yeah tsmc to get their ass out of taiwan before they get absorbed by the communist chinese party <clears throat> check it out bro now i used to think that these kinds of companies uh were bad you know bad to, to use but I started using American residential warranty uh, just because I, when I, we moved into our new house, there was, you know, some older appliances. And honestly, I actually have made money off the deal. Um, not a whole lot, but, the, you know, th these are the things that your dishwasher breaks and you basically pay a $75 fee, you know, per month. And then you pay like another 50 bucks. And if it's broken enough, they'll replace it with a brand new unit. Otherwise, they'll they'll try to fix it. But I knew that some of my appliances were way beyond their life lifespan, and if they did break, that they would have to be replaced. I didn't want to spend that money, so I bought <clears throat> American Residential Warranty products, <clears throat> and I guess I'm glad I did because, dude, they joined the ranks of firms investing in Bitcoin. Andrew Asmakov has this one about American American Residential Warranty getting into Bitcoin. It's, it's, I mean, American Residential Warranty is a national home warranty plan company, and it has joined the growing number of firms making Bitcoin part of their investment portfolio. The Florida-based firm has also revealed that it will accept payment for its services in cryptocurrency. Please say Bitcoin. I just, I, I'm starting to gag when I hear crypto or cryptocurrency. It's really hard, and I'm always having to say the word in this show because I'm reading you the news, right? So according to a recent statement, ARW has made the strategic decision to invest in Bitcoin with the intention to expand its investment portfolio options and boost returns on cash. It has used crypto exchange Gemini to provide custodial services for the firm's cryptocurrency holdings. The company says its capital allocation strategy is a mix of low risk, short-term liquidity vehicles and medium to higher risk securities for longer term investments. It has not disclosed the exact amount of money it is going to convert into Bitcoin. ARW has also followed in the footsteps of Tesla by announcing that as well as holding Bitcoin as part of its investment portfolio, it will be accepting Bitcoin as a payment option. Quote, <clears throat> by accepting crypto as a payment option for homeowners, ARW is not, the, is not only giving their customers the most comprehensive home warranty plans, but also signaling that American Residential Warranty is a tech-forward company adapting quickly to emergent technologies, read the announcement. It is also <clears throat> the latest in a growing list of companies venturing into Bitcoin as an investment vehicle in recent months. Cloud service provider MicroStrategy, they're not a cloud... I, no, uh, 
they're not all that into cloud service. Their main thing is developing intelligence tools that are software-based, right? Business intelligence is more their bag than cloud service providing. I, I don't know why people get this wrong, but uh, anyway, the, the MicroStrategy added a further $10 million in Bitcoin to its portfolio last week, increase, increasing the company's total crypto stash to 91 point or 91,064 BTC. Uh, yeah, so good God. <clears throat> With the latest price rally of Bitcoin, the company's Bitcoin portfolio has now increased to over $5.1 billion at current prices. Holy shit, MicroStrategy. And then we have the news about Tesla, and they go through that one. The latest addition to the ranks of institutional investors, however, with Bitcoin holdings is Acre ASA, a Norwegian holding company controlled by billionaire investor Jell Ingroke. This week, Acre ASA announced the launch of its new business unit that will focus on investing in product projects and companies within the Bitcoin ecosystem. The subsidiary CTAS will keep all of its liquid investable assets in the benchmark cryptocurrency. Yeah, yeah. if you didn't hear about that news, um, Acre ASA, you need to go check them out. And if you haven't read the uh, investor shareholder letter that this guy wrote, it, first of all, it's brilliant. Second of all, it's rather long. Third is that you can actually listen to it because uh, Guy Swan over at, uh, at Bitcoin Audible has uh, gone ahead and and I think it was his I think it was the podcast that he released yesterday uh, or the day before it was one of his very last ones he reads the whole letter to you so if you don't want to read 23 pages of letter you can just get Guy Swan to read it to you that's sort of what he does right um, <clears throat> it's brilliant it is it's so worth your time to either read it or listen to Guy Swan to, uh, uh, tell you about it and because it's like talking to it's like talking to one of us it's like me talking to one of you guys and and how we think about bitcoin it's amazing and the guy like you know like michael saylor he just started learning about it last summer and all of it and he's so far up to speed it's not even funny it's not like these people that you have to hammer why difficulty adjustment matters <laughs> why i'm not worried about mining death spiral why the price is why Bitcoin is designed to pump forever? I he gets it. I don't have to do anything with this guy. It's 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 amazing to watch. Absolutely amazing to watch. Now uh, I'm gonna have to say crypto a few more times because this piece by Brian Quarmby will just continue to say use the word I hate it, but it's from Coin Telegraph. Students in Georgia are set up to be taught about crypto at high school. Yeah, this really only works if you teach them how money works, the legacy financial system works, and central banking works. Otherwise, none of this shit makes sense. But, hey, at least they're trying, right? The Georgia House of Representatives passed a bill that calls for state education officials to implement a study program based around financial literacy for high schoolers and cryptocurrency is on the curriculum list. The bill passed the lower chamber of Georgia on March the 8th by a vote of 169 to 2. I wonder who didn't want that on there. The bill was sponsored by six Republican candidates and has been sent to the Senate for further deliberation. The program outlines 16 areas of financial literacy to be studied by students in the 10th or 11th grades. The bill text states, quote, 
The State Board of Education shall prescribe a program of study and personal finance literacy to be completed by high school during or by students during high school. Thank God. We've been bitching about this for a long time. I'm telling you, man, Bitcoin fixes a lot of stuff. In fact, Bitcoin fixes everything. Cryptocurrency has found itself on the list, along with more traditional subjects such as balancing a checkbook, investing, money management, loan applications, and tax assessments. However, given crypto's lowly position at number 16 out of 16 subjects, it may not be the most comprehensive overview, but at least it's a start. Georgia's bill is not the first time cryptocurrency has been included in a high school curriculum. Back in 2019, the French Education Ministry implemented a Bitcoin and cryptocurrency module in its high school curriculum. The module was designed to give students a basic knowledge of cryptocurrency in relation to the traditional financial world. The module pushed students to answer questions such as, is Bitcoin the currency of the future? <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> Not because of the question. I mean, it was the way that the question is couched in, in, in the context of what's supposed to be learned. That, you, you, it's fucking stupid. Whatever. Can Bitcoin replace the euro? And do you have trust in your, in your currency? Honestly, this sounds like that whole module was designed as a fucking survey. That, I don't, I, these questions are bad. Those are bad questions. <clears throat> and showing it's never too early to learn about crypto, on International Women's Day, a three-year-old Bitcoin educator spoke at the Online Women of the Future Crypto and Blockchain Conference. The young educator, Lily Knight, previously went semi-viral in the crypto world after releasing a video about Bitcoin's limited supply using Skittles candy for visual representation. Ha! <laughs> I I've, I've saw it circulated around. I haven't watched it yet. I guess I should watch it now. I, I don't know. I'll, 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 I'll probably end up watching this three-year-old. Okay, now we got to run the numbers. Gold is about to punch below $1,700. Welcome to cnbc.com forward slash futures and commodities oil uh, trading down this morning uh, by a quarter of a percent is going to come in at 65 dollars and 87 cents right now brent north sea uh, is down a fifth of a point it's going to come in at 69 dollars and 50 cents natural gas a little to the upside by three quarters of a point is coming in at two dollars and 70 cents for 1,000 cubic feet. Like I said, gold about to punch through a floor it hasn't seen in a while. It is down 1.13% and its price is coming in at $1,703.30. It is $3 and it's basically almost 250 away from punching through 1,700 to the low side. If that level breaks, I don't know what the hell's going on, but silver, is even do is doing even worse, man. It's down by 2.2%. Platinum is off by 1% as well as copper is. Palladium is down only a half a point. Uh, let's see. Indices, everything is looks like it's going to be red today. Dow futures is up 0.1%. S&P futures is down a third. NASDAQ futures is going to get hit hard. It's down 1.34%. And the S&P mini is down a fifth of a percent. Let's talk about real money, though. $56,587 is what I'm showing for a price of Bitcoin. So 
Apparently, somebody, some people out there really don't want us to hit $60,000 before everybody gets their stimmies, which should be coming this weekend, by the way, from what, from what I've heard, that direct deposit receivers will get it uh, in their bank account over the weekend, or at least that's the start of it. So start checking your bank accounts so that you can stack those sats and convert your worthless, 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 burnable fiat bullshit money into something real and tangible. I know Peter Schiff would totally tell me off about how it's not tangible, but whatever. I got a low price over at, it's going to be at Coinbase Pro, and it's coming in at 56,353 over there. So there's some arb room there if you want to take it. 321,500 transactions performed in the last 24 hours means that about 13,400 transactions are being done every hour on the hour. With half a billion BTC being sent in that period, we have 22,330 BTC being sent on average every hour and uh, with 1.67 being the average transaction value. The median transaction value is 0.02 BTC, which is about $1,000. Now, let me stop right there to remind you guys that it was probably not more than four months ago that I had been used to saying that the median transaction value in dollar terms was about 300 and that that's the level that I was comfortable with. It's been close to, it's either been over or very close to 1,000 for like the last three months running. What does that tell you? What does this tell you? Block time is nine minutes and 40 seconds, so we're 20 seconds off. We have 0.8 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 122.5 BTC being taken in fees over the last 24 hours. We've had another drop in hash rate. 4.88% to the downside brings us all the way back to 148.1 exahashes per second. Still not going to be a mining death spiral. Thank you very much. Dogecoin, 5.5 cents. If you that's my that's my shitcoin index, by the way. I don't have to talk about any other price action whatsoever. I can just say Bitcoin and shitcoin. Shitcoin being represented by the shittiest of the shitcoins, Doge at 5.5 cents, right? So anyway, <coughs> Clark Moody is showing 35,000 transactions waiting to onboard 81 blocks to clear. We are at $1.05 trillion of market capitalization because the price that Clark Moody is showing is 56,380. Uh, we are capturing nine point. We are almost at ten percent of Bitcoin or a, a gold's market cap at nine point four six percent, and Bitcoin will buy you thirty two point eight ounces of gold. So as Bitcoin rises, gold falls, and ooh, those numbers get high quick. Eighteen million six hundred and fifty one thousand six hundred and sixty seven point five nine BTC are in the money supply. Uh, let's see, what is Lightning doing? 1,133.9 BTC are in the Lightning network. That's a total capacity value of $63.9 million. Wow, we get, got like another 100 uh, nodes over the last 24 hours. We're at 9,424 nodes. Holy shit. But we're still hanging out with 39,092 channels. 
we have the percentage of Tor capacity of the Lightning Network pegging 54.1%, and that's being run over 3,853 Tor-based Lightning nodes with a capacity of 612.89 BTC. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. Uh, I'm just going to start this one off by reminding Ethereum miners, if you're an ETH miner, just remember that Ethereum hates you and wants you to die. I would just go ahead and stop mining the damn thing, honestly. Why do I say this? Because the ETH2 transition accelerates amid rumblings of a minor uh, rebellion. Now, remember what I said yesterday. You had a whole bunch of miners that signaled that they were going to uh, start mining a different uh, chain that... I'm not going to get into what the miners are doing, but suffice it to say, they're threatening. They were threatening a 51% attack in their language, and I don't think they were ever going to be able to get it. And they, some person in the organization that, or the the representing the people that were doing this, were saying that they don't want to hurt ETH, but they're they're voicing their concerns about the fact that ETH wants to go proof of stake. So their own mining people are are, which I'm surprised it took them this long. And maybe that's a signal that they're they're actually in a position now where they're like, I think these guys are serious. I think that they're not going to have to delay any longer because they've been delaying the the move to proof of stake for what four straight years, something like that. It's been a shit show the entire time. There's several people that keep threads on just how embarrassing it it is for Ethereum that they keep having to delay. But this is the first time that the miners have been in a roar, right? So maybe the miners know something that the rest of us don't. I don't know. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not cheerleading for ETH by any stretch of the imagination, but this is kind of important because it's well, fuck, it's Ethereum, and then we keep getting back to <clears throat> bashed over the heads by Ethereans. So let's find out exactly how scared the Ethereans are that the miners are concerned that they're close uh, that they seem to be getting close to launching proof of stake. This is Samuel Haig writing for Cointelegraph. Uh, Ethereum's developers appear to be hastening the network shift towards proof-of-stake consensus <clears throat> and away from the proof-of-work mining community. On March the 11th, developer Mikhail Kalayan, whatever, published specifications for ETH2 future blockchain merged with the existing Ethereum network. The documentation notes the consensus upgrade from proof-of-stake to proof-of-work will be the core change enacted. They got that wrong, by the way. It's, quote-unquote, it's an upgrade from proof-of-work to proof-of-stake. So uh, Samuel needs to correct that shit. The publication of specs comes amid tensions between Ethereum miners and developers ramp up. Miners stand to lose significant revenue with the transition to proof-of-stake, while Ethereum's developers are keen to ameliorate the persistently high fees and congestion on Ethereum. Yeah, by scuttling your, your security model. Yeah, that's that's the way you do it. That's a that's a good move. Last week, Cointelegraph reported that Ethereum core developers had scheduled to implement Ethereum Improvement Proposal 1559 in July which will, will replace Ethereum's existing fee market with a fee or with a flat price and burn mech. While the proposal is expected to disciplines, uh, discipline Ethereum's surging fees, 1559 could reduce miner revenue by as much as 50%. As such, some miners responded to the news by planning a show of force 
advocating for Ethereum miners to redirect their hash power to the 1559 opposed mining pool Ethermine for 51 hours on April the 1st. However, the core developers appear to have been prepared for the miner backlash. Last month, Ethereum co-creator Vitalik Buterin said on Chinese social media uh, that if miners threaten to 51%, we will all move to POS as soon as possible. Developers also paired EIP-1559 with a delay to the difficulty bomb in July's London upgrade to, in order to make a hard fork less likely. And as Reddit, Redditor always questioned pointed out in a Reddit post, arguing for the merge to be prioritized, quote, having the merge at the ready provides a fallback for the community should a cartel of miners collude to neutralize the positive effects of 1559. Earlier this week, Buterin revealed that ETH2 developers have been prioritizing the chain merge over implementing sharding, with his comments on Chinese social media suggesting the focus on merging may be motivated by the desire to minimize (coughs) the potential impacts of resistance from miners. Buterin also noted that second-layer scaling solutions will launch in the coming months, predicting that Optimism's roll-ups will facilitate an increase in transactional throughput by a factor of 100. Buterin asserted that Layer 2 solutions will sufficiently scale Ethereum until sharding is implemented. Well, I thought they were going to do away with sharding altogether because of the roll-ups. I don't see. That's, this is the thing. This is why I don't Ethereum. I never know what these guys are doing. You know, and it's not its not because I'm not keeping up with it. I mean, you have to hear about it from all the damn Ethereans. All I ever see is changes to economic policy, changes to their security model that are being pushed through. Now I got a group of miners that basically just want to fork off because they're, they're receiving no love whatsoever. So what, honestly, what do you expect? The whole thing is on fire. And every, all the time I keep getting these Ethereans going, oh, but we're going to completely supplant you guys. What? You're going to supplant the thing that has, hasn't changed its security model, hasn't changed its economic policy, and all of a sudden is getting, you know, billionaires all over the world are starting to buy into this thing. And now I've got even like lower companies like American Warranty or American Residential Warranty Corporation buying it. They're not buying Ethereum. And it's probably not because it's not, you know, an interesting situation over there at Ethereum. You guys keep changing shit. You guys are worse than central banks. Honestly, God, stop. Ugh. Anyways, I, I I think that the, I think this thing is going to come to a head. And like I said, if I was an Ethereum miner, I'd just go ahead and start pointing my shit to a different uh, different mining pool because you're, it's just not going to be good for you in the in the in the future. In this whole thing by reducing the mining fees or what the miners profits by fifty percent. I don't buy that. I don't buy that at all. I think it's going to be much less because proof of stake doesn't need mining, right? Or do they? Because I can't get a straight answer out of the Ethereans on this shit either. First, you know, first I, they won't. They say it doesn't matter that they don't know how much Ethereum Ethereum is in circulation, and that archival nodes uh, or partial nodes are. You don't even need to run them because hey, just let somebody else run it. So when AWS goes down, Ethereum doesn't work on the on the you know in Europe or something like that, which has happened by the way. The multiple, uh, it just goes on and on. It's the, it's the shit show of, of, of this entire century, honestly. Let's talk about the mooch. SEC's Gen- Gensler could approve U.S. Bitcoin ETF this year. 
the former White House Securities Director says. Now, this is Scott Cipollina uh, writing this one for Decrypt.co. Skybridge Capital Hedge Fund co-founder and former White House staffer Anthony Scaramucci is hopeful he'll see a BTF, a BTF, a Bitcoin ETF in the United States approved by the end of this year. And he's basing that hope on President Biden's choice of Gary Gensler to run the SEC. Quote, I'm hoping that with the introduction of Gary now into the regulatory rubric and my understanding of where he's coming from, although I don't know it personally, is that possibly we could get an ETF in place by the end of the year, Scaramucci said. An exchange-traded fund, or ETF for short, would allow investors to bet on the price of Bitcoin without actually buying and storing the asset, similar to how gold ETFs function for gold investors. <coughs> the expectation is that once a Bitcoin ETF is approved in the United States, institutional investors who may be intimidated by the complexities of cryptocurrency exchanges will rush in since buying Bitcoin is as easy as buying Tesla stock. The SEC, however, has repeatedly turned down applications for Bitcoin ETFs in the states on the grounds that the Bitcoin market isn't mature enough and is still very easy to manipulate. <laughs> the entire world isn't easy to manipulate on all fronts. Regulators in Canada evidently disagree. Two Bitcoin ETFs have already been established in Canada, prompting speculation about when, if ever, the United States will follow suit. There, that number's wrong. There's actually three ETFs in Canada. The Securities and Exchange Commission has embroiled itself in a number of regulatory battles with the crypto industry over the years, including the recent charges leveled at crypto software firm Cripple. Oh, I'm sorry, I meant Ripple, and the infamous ICO crackdown of 2017. But Scaramucci isn't the only one hopeful that Gary Gensler's arrival might change things, given his background in the crypto industry. Gensler taught a course on cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology at MIT. The course is free and fully viewable online, and they give a link to that. That might be interesting to go see what he thinks about it. And Scaramucci says he got through 18 of the 24 video sessions. Quote, Gary's course, I think, is sort of a tell that they're likely going to be regulating this. I think we could be sitting here a year from now with a Bitcoin ETF in the United States, something that's regulated, something that has a lot of clarity-related attacks. Uh, I think they meant to say a lot of clarity relating to taxation. What's more, Jensler published an op-ed in Coindesk at the end of 2019 in which he said blockchain technology has the potential to be a catalyst for change. Quote, crypto and blockchain technology acting as a catalyst for change may not fulfill the highlighted expectations of maximalists. End quote. Gensler wrote, <laughs> may I call this out by name, quote, but it may be Satoshi Nakamoto's most enduring early contribution, end quote. At the risk of alienating some of the crypto world's most ardent libertarians by, become, by welcoming regulation, Scaramucci also suggested an SEC-regulated Bitcoin ETF would be a good thing. Canadian regulators, as Scaramucci recalls, voiced the opinion that, quote, well, it's happening one way or another. We would rather have it regulated by us and the appropriate safety seal put on it and all the caveats. And then, of course, we want to be able to tax it as well, which would be beneficial to the Canadian government, end quote. So I can't imagine uh, that our friends north of the border are that far off from the long-term thinking of the regulators here in the United States. No, sorry, that's the end of the quote. I, I, I messed that up. But even if a Bitcoin ETF does land in the United States, that won't remove all the political baggage and controversy that Bitcoin is now well used to carrying. 
Bitcoin has never yet truly found mainstream support within the United States government. During his one term, <laughs> during his one term as president, Donald Trump issued one single tweet about Bitcoin and the wider cryptocurrency industry in July 2019, now deleted since Trump's account is gone. <laughs> I keep forgetting that that shit happened. The former president's tweet did say, quote, I am not a fan of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, which are not money and whose value is highly volatile and based on thin air. Unregulated crypto assets can facilitate unlawful behavior, including drug trade and other illegal activity, end quote, or end tweet. If you ask Scaramucci, Trump likely didn't write that tweet himself. Scaramucci suggests that the former president has been told he needed to opine on Bitcoin and the tweet was crafted for him. Quote, I could tell very quickly when Trump himself was writing a tweet, they were loaded with malapropisms and misspellings and a lack of commas. Just this stream of consciousness ranting, Scaramucci said. And then there were the more measured tweets that had some of Trump's spicy comments, but it was more or less being written by somebody else. I think the Bitcoin thing was written by governmental bureaucrats that don't want to see Bitcoin rise, and I think it's rising despite of all that anyway. End quote. Of course, <clears throat> Trump is now gone. and We have another administration occupying 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. President Biden hasn't publicly opined about Bitcoin, but his Treasury Secretary has, or his choice of. Janet Yellen has been outspoken in her views about Bitcoin and the wider crypto market. She's previously described Bitcoin as highly speculative asset and has publicized concerns that it can be used for, of course, illicit activity. She also said regulators need to ensure that consumer protection is right at the top of their priority list when dealing with assets like Bitcoin. For Scaramucci, the government's relative uh, opposition to Bitcoin isn't a partisan issue between Republicans and Democrats. Instead, it's a byproduct of U.S. dollar supremacy and the need for the government to use currency as an effective political tool. I think they spelled weapon wrong, by the way. Quote, the government has for the last 20 years, if not longer, been using the dollar as an effective political weapon. I'm, I'm actually using that. I'm saying They're saying tool. I'm saying political weapon in terms of an instrument for sanctioning and trying to cripple our adversaries. Yeah, that's a weapon, dude. That's not a tool. That, that's a, a straight up fucking weapon. Might as well just launch nuclear warheads at them. He remains optimistic that the cryptocurrency is coming to America and when it arrives, along with the Bitcoin ETF, it will be here to stay. Quote, free market principles dictating what they are. I'm pretty sure we're going to have some level of a robust Bitcoin slash crypto economy here in the U.S., uh, end quote. Either way, the next four years are going to be crucial in the United States' approach to crypto. Coinbase recently posted its S1 filing with the SEC before it will go public via direct listing. Institutional money is pouring into Bitcoin at an unprecedented rate, and the price is within touching distance of yet another all-time high. There's a lot of metrics in, in Bitcoin that, that can hit all-time highs, by the way. So, yeah, Scaramooch, I hate the fact that he uses the word crypto, but hey, what are you going to do? At least he's on our side for now. Bitcoin futures open interest hit a new all-time high as traders flock to derivatives. Like I said, there's multiple metrics in Bitcoin that can hit an all-time high, and this is one of them, and Samuel Haig is going to tell us all about it. With BTC again edging towards all-time highs, a large volume of money is flowing into the Bitcoin derivatives market. 
According to crypto market data aggregator Glassnode, outstanding futures contracts pushed into all-time high territories on March the 11th with open interest across exchanges approaching $20 billion. Holy smokes, bro. Options have also surged to see record volumes in 2021 with Deribit now regularly hosting more than $1 billion worth of daily trade. According to Binance-owned CoinMarketCap, the three largest centralized derivatives exchanges, Binance, Wobi, Global, and Bybit, represent more than $100 billion in combined daily trade. Binance alone is $57 billion a day. <clears throat> the 10 highest-ranked exchanges facilitated more than $65 billion to trade over the last 24 hours. However, despite the surging volume, some decentralized derivatives exchanges appear to be struggling to attract the momentum of their centralized counterparts. Skyrocketing Ethereum fees appear to have slowed the growth of decentralized options with the complicated smart contract executions required to interact with sub-Ethereum-based protocols resulting in gas prices of more than $1,000 US. Similarly, record fees also appear to have deterred traders from Ethereum-powered decentralized futures with daily volume on DYDX plummeting from tens of billions in January to roughly $100 million over the past week. Recent liquidity, yeah, recent liquidity issues on the popular on-chain options trading protocol Hedgic <clears throat> are also impacting Ethereum's decentralized options market. On March the 11th, Ribbon Finance founder Julian Coe announced the protocol's strangle product had been temporarily disabled due to there not being liquidity on the Hedgic pools. Coe also noted disruptions to Ribbon's price feed resulting from ongoing upgrades to DeFi option protocol open. On Discord, Ribbon's founder noted that the team is currently working on integrating with fellow DeFi options protocol Charm Finance as a new liquidity source <clears throat> to solve the liquidity issue. So Ethereum is options are, you know, apparently non-existent anymore. Nobody wants to deal with, with the high gas fees. Who can blame them? But then again, that, you know, to be, to be honest and fair, Bitcoin has its fair share of high fees too. Okay. It's, you know, the, I think we're thinking about this in the wrong way. It's not a visa transaction fee. You're paying for security, which is why it's so bad when, when people like <clears throat> Ethereum change their security model so so vigorously and, sh and shove it down everybody's throats. Because now everybody, I mean, this is, honestly, does anybody even think about all the people that are going to have to rework all of their systems because Boy Wonder over there is all now concerned about the fucking environment? Really? How much fuel is going to be burnt from all these people having to change over their shit? How many, you know, 24-hour shifts are going to have to be performed by all the workers at all these exchanges? It's not going to be an easy turnover going from proof of work to proof of stake for just Ethereum by itself. Think about everybody else that's affected about by that shit downstream. And then you realize what a dumpster fire this thing really is. It's sick, man. It's just sick. But Bitcoin for Boomers Bank River Financial does raise $12 million and touts $1 billion in assets under management. <clears throat> Jeff Roberts from Decrypt.co is going to tell us about it. When Alex Leishman decided to start a Bitcoin company, he chose to focus on an unusual niche. Investors over 50. So far, his bet paid off. 
<clears throat> on Thursday, Leishman's startup River Financial announced it had raised $12 million in a Series A funding round to expand a service he describes as Bitcoin for boomers. River Financial's business model defies popular stereotypes of Bitcoin enthusiasts as tech-savvy 20- or 30-somethings. Instead, the company offers a customer experience akin to, an old, akin to an old-time bank with a high level of personal service, including brokers who can be reached by the phone. <clears throat> so far, the company has a modest customer base of under 100,000 clients, with a majority of them being over the age of 50. Leishman, an aerospace engineer who has been a Bitcoin enthusiast since 2013, says River Financial has already amassed nearly $1 billion in assets under management since it launched last summer. He also pays, says that the company, which takes a commission when customers acquire Bitcoin, is already profitable, an uncommon feat for an early Silicon Valley startup. Leishman credits River Financial's early success to the company's decision to stick to its knitting and focus exclusively on Bitcoin and building other traditional financial products around it. Quote, unlike exchanges that onboard new customers and try to cross-sell them other coins, we just offer Bitcoin and then cross-sell other financial services, he told Decrypt. Those other services include joint accounts for spouses and tax reporting tools. Quote, if Fidelity or Goldman Sachs didn't have tax tracking for clients, it would be a joke. Leishman said, holy shit, noting that the biggest crypto exchanges, including Coinbase and Gemini, fail to offer uh, to provide that sort of tax tools <clears throat> that come with any conventional brokerage account. River Financial, which is based in San Francisco and has grown to 23 employees, now operates in 32 states and is awaiting a so-called bit license to launch in New York. The company plans to use <clears throat> the new financing to expand to new jurisdictions and roll out new products, including ones that will see it provide an expanded reporting layer between different types of crypto platforms. Leishman, a fervent Bitcoin believer, believes that the cryptocurrency will eventually become the world's reserve currency and says he aspires to build River Financial into the Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan of Bitcoin. A few funding rounds, uh, wait, the few funding rounds for River Financial, which has seen its order volume increase 3,500% in nine months, according to Leishman, was led by Goldcrest Capital with participation from Kraft Ventures, Polychain Capital, M13, Castle Island, Slow Ventures, and the Kraft Group, which is the owner of the New England Patriots. Interesting. The company, which has raised $17.7 million in total, also recently launched an iOS app and hired a top aide to former Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin as Director of Regulatory Affairs. Now, that's good, except that the let the lobbying begin because you're talking about we just got finished talking about you know the, that senator for their affairs issues. Well, Binance is hiring a former U.S. senator as well to help navigate regulations. Max Baucus is joining the International Crypto Exchange. Jeff Benson tells us about it from Decrypt. Binance is the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange by volume, but due to regulations, it's not available to most Bitcoin hungry, the most Bitcoin-hungry nation on Earth, the United States. <clears throat> In a likely bid to change that, the exchange has wooed Max Baucus, a former Democratic senator from Montana, to join as an advisor on policy and government relations. According to Binance, Bacchus will consult with U.S. regulators and legislatures on policies that will help grow not only Binance, but the broader crypto ecosystem. Bacchus, who held, 
upheld the powerful Senate Finance Committee from 2007 to 2014, suggested the revolutionary power of cryptocurrencies and blockchain drew him to the role, quote, it is a privilege to assist in appropriately navigating the complex political and regulatory frameworks that hold the key to enabling wider adoption, he said in a press release. Crypto traders stateside cannot currently legally access Binance. Instead, residents in most states can use San Francisco-based partner Binance US. But the American exchange has far fewer coins to offer. Well, that's good. 54 compared to Binance's 340. God, the shit coinery involved here is just amazing. Moreover, Binance US does not offer crypto derivatives tradings while Binance does. Binance CEO CZ told Decrypt via email that Bacchus's prior, prior political roles in the United States and China after serving in the Senate, he did serve as U.S. ambassador to China during President Obama's second term, make him a dual threat. <clears throat> Senator Bacchus's experience both in and outside the United States is instrumental for the next phase of growth for truly global blockchain businesses like Binance. According to Zhao, uh, CZ rather, there are quite a few things that Binance would like to pick Bacchus's brain on, quote, but this is a strategic collaboration at a, at a super senior level, he told Decrypt, and I believe we will see fruits from a strategic, strategic level first, end quote. The longtime senator joins his erstwhile legislative aide and, aid and protege, former Obama Deputy Chief of Staff Jim Messina in moving to the cryptocurrency world. Crypto Wallet and Exchange Blockchain.com named Messina to its board earlier this week. Yeah, screw Blockchain.com. <clears throat> I won't get into that one, but that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. A truck carrying toupees crashed on the highway, scattering its cargo. Police are combing the area. <laughs> Gotta love Dad. All right. Once again, I, I implore you and ask you and beg of you to please, please <clears throat> like, subscribe, share, <clears throat> and go over to... Uh, Apple iTunes and see if you can't leave me maybe a five-star review. That, that'd that be pretty cool, man, because that really does help. Um, it I can't tell you how much it does help uh, to spread the word. I This industry is exploding, by the way, and I'm, <laughs> I'm just fascinated to watch just how decrepit the old world is. And I'm not just talking about financial worlds. I'm talking about... the. You know what's pervasive at this point is the entirety of the old world crumbling before our eyes includes, you know, like our most vaunted institutions like college, right? (laughs) I'm not going to get into it, but my wife literally wants to tell her university to have fun staying poor because she's pretty much done with the bullshit that goes along with academia at this time. And it didn't used to be this way. You know, 20, 25 years ago in college, it was colleges were a great place to work. They were a great place to be as a student. They actually did not fill your head with stupid shit. They actually, you know, they, they didn't have things like weird, you know, I don't know, uh, P, 
peeing on fence studies or what whatever bullshit that they're offering now. It was more aligned to sciences and being able to learn how to you know effectively communicate. And now it's just a shit show. It's just a shit, and it doesn't even matter if it's in the United States, whether it's a community college all the way up to like Princeton. This is global. You know, the, I'm, honestly, I think the academia is basically just just about over. Honestly, and I don't think they're going to be able to compete. So they're crumbling. The financial system is crumbling. Legacy, you know, like legacy, everything is is crumbling. The art world is showing its ass in, in the form of NFTs. I mean, the, the whole thing is a shit show. It's a dumpster fire. So I don't think that I, I don't think there's going to be any need for me to hang up my headphones for this show like ever, honestly. But I would... I would really like this show to get to get larger, to get bigger, because no, I mean, this is just the news. Every single morning, you get to hear me tell you what the news is as I see it every day, except for Saturday and Sunday, because I'm still locked into that part of the legacy world where I don't like working on the weekends. I just want to hang out. I just want to do stuff on the weekends that don't have anything to do with this. <clears throat> but if a five-star review a like, a share, a subscribe, all that stuff. Cannot tell you how much it helps. So if you do that for me, I would appreciate that. And I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.